out what these little signs mean all around the building. M-T-M-S-D-A-W. This was uh, an idea that uh, Krishna had a few weeks ago, kind of help you think about something, but not really think about it. Just kind of be curious about something. We wonder if it worked or not. Uh, how many of you figured out the first part, M-T-M? Okay, that's pretty simple, right? What is that? More... More than money. Okay, what about the SDAW part? Did anybody get that right? Jane got it, I know. Chris, did you get it? Okay. Anybody got any guess? SDAW? Okay, it's really pretty simple, but not something we normally say. Seven days a week. More than money, seven days a week. That's what it's about. And uh, my wife did get it, but she's smart that way. She loves these word games. I don't know how she got it because I was really careful not leave anything out she could look at or anything she could guess. She kept asking me for clues, you know, but I wouldn't give any. A few other people were asking around, but it was kind of fun. More than money, seven days a week. And uh, life is much more than money, isn't it? The world tries to tell us it's all about the money. It's all about whether or not we have it. And if we don't, we feel bad. If we do, then we kind of uh, get boastful and arrogant about that. It can be a real trip, a real trap for us. Uh, so more than money is more than handling the physical or material aspects of life. And that's what we're going to talk about these next few weeks. Uh, this is a stewardship series, but it's not really a stewardship series when you think of like a capital stewardship campaign or some kind of a thing where you're talking about raising money. We don't want to talk about that. This is more than money. We want to talk about life. And we want to, all of us to learn that stewardship is about all of life, not just the financial aspects or the financial parts of life. It's more than money. Seven days a week, 24-7 stewardship is where we live. Now, money is not an evil thing, is it? Money's not a bad thing. Money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. Some people misquote the Bible, however, when they say that the love that, that money is the root of all evil. But that's not what the Bible says. Money's not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, or all kinds of evil. That's what Paul said to Timothy, first Timothy six ten. Money itself is amoral. It is not moral or immoral. On its own. It is only in how it is handled. What we do with that money that can make it moral or immoral, good or bad. So life is much more than money. And we need to learn a lot more about life than just how to properly handle our finances. It's also about our time, isn't it? It's also about our abilities. It's also about the opportunities that God gives us. And all of these play into the stewardship of life that is more than money. So what priorities consume our time? What are we doing with our talents, with our gifts, with the opportunities God has given each of us? Paul told Timothy something else in 1 Timothy 6. Now at verse 19, he says, Tell your congregation to take hold of life that is truly life. Make sure that when you're grabbing life, when you're looking for life, when you're trying to live, make sure you take hold of the life that is truly life. In fact, he said this way, tell your people 
to lay up for themselves as treasures uh, a foundation for the future, for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Because life that is truly life is beyond seven days a week. It's beyond the nitty-gritty. It's beyond the day-to-day existence of life. It's the big picture of life. This life we live here is but just a piece, a little tiny piece of life that we will live for eternity. So take hold of the life that is truly life. So this morning we want to look at a parable. It's one of the parables of Jesus that we call the parable of the talents. And in this parable, Jesus describes a landlord who left a big chunk of his business in the hands of three different servants, three different workers. And he gave very amounts to each of them depending on the amount of trust that he had in their abilities. And with the money that he gave them as he left town, he gave instructions. And he said, I want you to do with this money I'm giving you as much as you possibly can. Make all that you can while I am gone. And when I return, we'll settle accounts. We'll figure out where we are on things. So let's turn over to Matthew chapter 25. And if you have your Bible, please turn there. And let's read together the parable of the talents. If you have your Bible, it's really important because in a little bit I'm going to ask you to mark something there. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. After a long time, the master had returned home. And he called each of these servants in to settle accounts with them. And the first and the second servants had each doubled their master's money. 
They said, Master, you entrusted me with an amount, five or, or two talents. And see, I've gained that much again. I've doubled your money. In spite of the fact that the master had given more to the first than the second, the master gave the exact same commendation to them both. That's very important. Because you may consider yourself a five-talent person or two-talent person, but if you invest those and use those wisely for God, you will receive exactly the same commendation from God. It's not the amount of talent. It's not the amount of ability that matters. It's the faithfulness in discharging what you've been entrusted to discharge. But the third servant failed. He was afraid. Fear is what motivated him. So he buried his master's money so that no one could steal it. He broke his master's trust by hiding what was entrusted to him. And so this third servant acted out of fear, out of dread, for what his master might do. And thereby lost the opportunity to please his master and to grow, to develop in his abilities as a manager. If you have your Bible open, I want you to circle some words here in this chapter. You can circle with pencil or pen, however permanent you want it to be. But I want you to know some key words. First word is entrusted. He entrusted them. The second word is he settled accounts. There will be a day in which God will settle accounts. The third is to be good and faithful. The commendation given to the two first servants. The other is wicked and lazy. What is said about the third servant. And then finally two more words. More and taken away. Circle those. In one case, God gave even more and blessed them because they were faithful in little things. Now I'm going to give you a lot more. And that is a principle that God has always operated by. But even if you have little and you will not use it, even that little bit will be taken away. In this same way as these servants, all of us are trusted with time and talents and treasures in this life. And at the end, God will settle accounts with each of us, and we will either hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, or we will hear him say, you are a wicked, lazy servant. Get out of my sight. <laughs> and you're thrown out into the outer darkness. If we have been faithful in our stewardship, we will be given more. But if we are unfaithful, even what little we have will be taken away. Now, that's awesome. I mean, scary awesome, isn't it? God says this is black and white. This is very clear. I am in entrusting you, charging you with the responsibility. I am giving you privileges. I'm giving you opportunities. I'm giving you abilities. What will you do with these? I'll be gone for a while, but when I come back, I'm going to settle accounts. And there will be a day of reckoning, a day of judgment. This is not hyperbole. This is reality. Man is destined once to die and after that to face judgment, the Bible says, Hebrews 9.27. One of the things I like about Jesus is this. You can always count on him to tell you the truth. You can always count on him to say things just the way they are. He's not going to play games. He's not going to placate you or, or try to please you and say what you want to hear. He's going to tell you the truth. And so when he says, I am the master, and I'm going to give you these abilities, and I'm going to give you these talents, and I'm going to be gone for a while, but I'm going to come back, and there will be a day when I settle accounts, 
He is telling the absolute truth. And we've got to get this stewardship thing right. This is not about us. This is about God. And there are serious consequences to the choices we make. So what is a steward? What is the steward he's talking about? A steward is a manager. Well, what is a manager? A manager is someone who manages someone else's business, someone else's money. These two terms are roughly equivalent. Tom Gardner said this. He said, a steward is someone who has been entrusted with the resources of another. A steward stands in stark contrast to the consumer or the user. The basis of stewardship is the recognition that God owns everything and we own nothing. So get that through your head. God owns everything. We own nothing. Now, does anybody here like sports? Anybody? A few? Uh, quite a few? Anybody, whether you participated or you just watched, do you like sports? If you watch sports, you understand this principle, the difference between owners and managers. If you watch pro baseball, you watch pro football, you know that these teams are owned by somebody. Either it's a family or an individual or a corporation, but they own this team. But they don't manage the team, normally. <laughs> they hire somebody as a manager, as a coach, as somebody to make sure the team develops and the team plays to its peak performance. And you find this all the time, that the owner hires somebody to manage the team. And they expect them to perform, to bring up the quality of the team, to have more wins than losses. And if not, there is a day of reckoning. There is a time when the accounts are settled. And that person can be fired, and they routinely are fired, aren't they? Just uh, uh, He's gone. How many coaches have we been through in the Redskins in the last 20 years? Just a few. Why is that? Because our record has been so terrible. You know? And, and somebody wants to have somebody pay for that. That's the coach. You get rid of the coach. Let's try another coach. Uh, a few weeks ago, the Redskins beat the Cowboys. Sorry, Matt. They did. Um, it happens once every decade, but we did. And uh, we beat the Cowboys. One of the reasons for that might have been Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, came down on the field, didn't he? Towards the end. Did you see the game? Tony Romo had been hurt. He's off the sideline. Shouldn't really play the rest of the game, maybe, because he's still a little dazed. But Jerry Jones came down there, and he and Tony got to the coach, and they said, really need to put him back in. we got about two or three minutes to win this thing. we got to come back. So they put him in there, and he failed. He was not able to take the team down the field. And so the Redskins won that game. And before we're so critical of Jerry Jones, who's micromanaging, you know, now the owner's come out of his box. He's come down there, and he's managing the team from the field. We have an owner that kind of tends to do that sometimes too, right? Dan Snyder knows about that. But we do understand this principle. Some owners make this mistake of taking over the managership of the team. But there's a distinction here. A manager is hired to manage. He doesn't own the team, but he's responsible for its performance on the field. In the same way, we don't own anything, but we are responsible for how we conduct our lives God is the owner. God 
owns everything and we simply manage whatever part of it he has entrusted to our care. He loans us for a time, our time and our talents and our treasures to do with what we can, whatever space of time he's given us, whether it's 20 years or 50 years or 90 years, doesn't matter. He's gone away, so to speak, and he leaves it in our charge. And that's what stewardship is, managing what God owns. What God loans to us for a period of time. You got it? That's what it is. Did you hear about the rich man who heard about this for the first time? He went to church and he heard the preacher saying, you know, that really we don't own anything. Everything is simply a gift from God that he's given us for a little while. And after thinking about that, he went to his preacher afterwards. He says, man, he says, I don't get it. Do you mean all I own, all I have ever worked for isn't really mine? And the preacher said, just ask me again in about 100 years. <laughs> just wait a little while, you'll find out this is right. You're not going to keep this stuff. You can't hold on to it. It's all God's. It's going to revert back to the owner. As soon as you leave the scene, it's back to his control, and he's going to bless somebody else. He's going to entrust somebody else with that. You cannot keep it with you. Did you hear about the children who were giving their offerings in kids' church one day? And so the leader of Kids Church says, as you give your offering today, kids, I want you to quote some scripture, some Bible verse you've learned about money or giving or whatever. So the first little child got up and they, they gave their offering. They said, God loves a cheerful giver. Okay? The next one put in her offering and she said, He that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Good. Third one got up and said, A fool and his money are soon parted. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's not the scripture we're looking for. For you to give as you gave your money today. Did you hear about the children uh, who trusted God and who gave so mightily? They took their little offering and God blessed it. Story after story is told of children who have an innate trust for God that say, it's all his and I will give freely of that. Maybe we'll look at a few of those stories in the future. Well, owners and managers are not the same. That's the point I want you to get today. We are managers, God is the owner. So I have two questions for you this morning. First of all is this, do we really get it? If we get it, then why are we holding on to stuff? Why are we grasping at everything? Why are we so, so uh, aware that it's up to us? So much to our control, to our, our interest, to our involvement, to our work. Why do we get so possessive? Why do we get so greedy? If we really get it, that God is the owner and we are only managers. Why do we put our confidence in our bank account, in our investments, and in our jobs, where we get our money, rather than in God who owns it all? Why are we still struggling here if we get it? That's the first question. Second question is, what are we actually doing with whatever God has entrusted us with? How faithful are we discharging our duties? How do our priorities reflect that God is the owner of these things? Do we honor him, in other words, by the way we live our lives? In Matthew 6, 19-21, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
What is it that you treasure most of all? What is it that you value, that your life's purpose, your life's goals are all about? Those financial things? Are those material things? Are they spiritual, eternal things? Take hold of the life that is truly life, the word says. John Wesley spent a lot of time away from home preaching the gospel all across England. One day somebody came running up to him as he was in the middle of ministry and they said, sorry to tell you this, but your house just burned to the ground. Your house burned down. Imagine that. You know, you're just out there doing God's work. You're trusting him to take care of everything. You're off doing whatever you need to do for God. And a messenger comes in, your house just burned to the ground. You know what John Wesley said? (laughs) He said, I don't have a house. I don't have a house. I manage a house for God. So uh, it's his house that burned down, not mine. (laughs) Since I'm his son, he said, and he wants me to have a roof over my head, he'll provide something. That's his business. I'm out here doing his work. That's not my house that burned down. Do you understand what he's saying? Do you understand that kind of an attitude that, that replies that way? Because that's how we're supposed to live, as stewards, not as owners, as renters, not as homeowners. You ever rented a house? You ever rented an apartment? What happens when the toilet breaks? Do you fix it? No. You call the landlord and you say, got something broken, you need to fix this. Something fails at the house, it's not your responsibility because you're the renter, not the owner. But if you own a house and the toilet breaks, guess what? You're the one that tears into that thing, tries to fix it, or you call the plumber because it's on you. It's your responsibility. Chris Edmondson said, what God is wanting you to do with your life, with your house, with your car, even your children, is to sign over the deed to God. Truly make him the owner. Because he owns everything anyhow. And if you let him call the shots with your possessions, he says, then when they break, it's his problem. And that's what I want to encourage you this morning, is to sign over the deed of your life to God. Now, I did this at least once in my life. Back in the 1980s, I owned a 1979 Honda Accord. I got it from my dad. It looked about like that. What a beautiful car. No, not really. It wasn't that great, but it was good. It got me where I needed to go. But it started leaking gas. And I had to figure out where that gas leak was coming from. I was smelling up things around the garage, you know, and just a mess. So I got exploring, discovered this hole in the gas tank. I couldn't see it at first, but I had to take the whole tank off the car. So I had it all jacked up, you know, and take this thing loose, get it out. And I think, oh, I can fix that. There's several products on the market to fix it, so I tried one. Went through all the process of putting it back. Next day, it's leaking again. Not happy about that. So I found some other things to use. Took it off again, tried again. It's still leaking. Boy, I was getting upset. So now I'm under the car for the third time. I'm taking the, the tank off. The only blessing is I knew how to do it by now. And I'm getting the tank off, and it hit me. This is not my car. This is God's car. So I said to God, I said, God, your Honda is leaking gasoline. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) And it totally changed everything. In fact, I thought of something I hadn't thought of before, and that was to call the junkyard and see if there was a used gas tank in another car they'd taken off. There was. It was only 50 bucks. 
And then turn it out, as I, I remember, I didn't even pay that 50 bucks. God took care of it. Somebody else paid the 50 bucks. I put it on and never had that problem again with that car. And it was just a change of attitude for me, a change of awareness that this was not my car. It was not my problem. This was God's car. And it's up to him to figure out a solution for it. And he did. Thankfully, he did. God is the owner of everything that we have ever touched or handled. Think about that. Anything that is material, anything that you could call a possession that you own, that is mine, it's really God's. He's the owner of our very lives. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. Even our very selves belong to God. He's the owner of our time, our talents, our treasures. He's the owner of everything. And just to be clear, this is not the way the world sees things, is it? This is not what you're told in the news. Not what you're told by the advertisers. This is not what you're told by your boss. This is not what you're told by the whole industry around you and the culture and the climate of this country and of this world. This goes against the grain. And we cannot help but be in opposition and in conflict to a world system that says, no, it's about you. Take care of yourself. If you don't, no one will. Grab for all the gusto you can for yourself. Make sure your bank account is as big as you can. Make sure your retirement is as big as it can possibly be. Because it's all about you. And this system that we're learning from Jesus is saying it's not about you. It's about God. You don't own it anyway. God owns it. And you are simply allowed to manage it. We are managers. We are stewards. And the Bible says those who have been given a trust must prove to be faithful in discharging that trust. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Are we faithful in our use of our master's things? Are we responsible? Are we honest? Are we diligent? Are we careful in taking care of everything our master has entrusted to our care? I know it's hard to get this right. It's really easy to be possessive. We feel like owners because it's our stuff and it's around us and we're using it. But we have to remind ourselves continually it is not ours, it is God's. And we will bear the consequences of our decisions whether we will be faithful or not because in the end, we will give an account to God. John was a very lonely, wealthy old man. He worked hard all of his life and built a great business and made loads of money. But he was all alone. And one Sunday evening, he was out taking a stroll through town. And he came upon a church, just trying to clear his head, trying to figure out why he was in the state of mind that he was in. And he heard this singing. It sounded really beautiful. So he went inside, sat down in the back, and singing continued. He actually joined into some of the singing, thought, man, this is just great to be part of this. The preacher got up and gave a message, and he was talking about stewardship and different things and, and you know what life is supposed to be. And at the end, he invited people that wanted to to come forward. He says, you know, if you've learned something about this along the way, if you've had some experience of God teaching you something and your trust in him, would you share that? A few people got up and started sharing. And John remembered something from his childhood. And so he decided, i got to get up and tell this story. He got up to talk about his story, about 
this shiny silver dollar that he gave to God. He says, I was a little boy and I worked really hard all day and at the end of the day, they gave me this shiny silver dollar as payment for my work. The next Sunday, I had that in my pocket as I went to church and they started talking about giving to the Lord and something inside me was prompting me to just go ahead and give it. Just give it all to God. Trust Him with my shiny silver dollar. And he says, I kind of wrestled with that back and forth but eventually I did. When the offering came, I put it in a plate. And God has blessed me ever since. God has taken care of me because I held nothing back. I just gave freely. And God has, has taken care of me all the way through. And he sat down. Kind of kind of proud, you know. Boy, I told them a good story. And he heard as he sat down, an elderly lady off to the side says, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> I dare you to do it again. I want to dare you this morning. If you have ever trusted God for anything, I dare you to trust Him again. I dare you to trust Him with your time. I dare you to trust Him with your talents, with your treasures, with anything that is material, anything that is of this world, that He is this point entrusted to your care I dare you to trust him to be in charge of that because he owns it anyhow to teach you how to manage it to teach you how to use it in a, in a productive useful way in his kingdom I dare you to trust God again money itself is neither good nor bad it is simply dangerous because it can lead us into problems if we start loving it instead of loving God it's God's. It's all God's. And that's what Job says. Job, when he lost everything, he says, you know, the Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's all his anyhow. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we may think that we're giving up a lot to follow Jesus. In actuality, we are giving up nothing. We are receiving so much more than we would if we had never trusted Christ. Less is more. And by giving up our dependence on physical things, we can finally find our total confidence in God alone. I want to show you this video. Just watch it, reflect, think about your life as we watch it together.